Wait, you literally think you're reliving the same day? Yep. And somebody kills you? Yep, again. All right, look. The way I see it is, is you have unlimited amount of lives, so you have unlimited opportunities to solve your own murder. So I'm just supposed to keep dying until I figure out who my killer is? Welcome to Now Playing's Happy Death Day retrospective series. You know what your little scenario reminds me? What? Groundhog Day. The movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Hosted by Brock. You're a feisty little shit, ain't you? Jacob. Are you high? On life. And Arnie. Naughty, naughty boy! This podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Damn, this is crazy, man. Listener discretion is advised. All right, let's see what you got. Today we're talking about Happy Death Day to You, starring Jessica Roth, Israel Broussard, Rachel Matthews, Phi Vu, Siraj Sharma, Sarah Yorkin, Ruby Modine, and Steve Zissis, directed by Christopher Landon. Why did you hit my penis? This is Brock. This is Arnie, but am I Arnie Prime or am I Arnie from an alternate dimension? The key is, Arnie from the alternate dimension loves the aviator. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the co-host who always brings a screwdriver to a gunfight, Jacob. Yes, I know that about you. Welcome back, everyone, to our Happy Death Day retrospective. Here we are with the second, maybe a penultimate. Who knows where they're going with this series? It might be the ultimate. I mean, did you see the box office? I did see the box office, but, you know, they kind of seem like they're thinking of a trilogy. I mean, it really does stick like that. Well, yeah, if this makes money, of course they want more. They always talk up, oh, of course there's a sequel coming, just to get people to believe that this is worth seeing. I just got the feeling at the end of the movie they're going to do that. But sure, of course, if anything makes enough money, they're going to do that. Hence why we're here today, Jacob. But here we are reviewing the first weekend of release show on the main feed for the year. Because Happy Death Day 1 made so much money, it felt like a series that people were going to race out and see the sequel for, and our listeners would demand the series, and so we'd put it in the schedule, and we wanted to be ahead of the curve. Wait, nobody saw the damn thing? It came in fifth at the box office, and it was the worst President's Day box office in 16 years? Why did it do so bad? Well, I think that's what we're here to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the end of last episode, you may recall, we knew the sequel was coming, but I was wondering, where are they going to go with this? How could they possibly continue on? What are they going to come up with that's going to justify them to come back for a second movie? And while nobody knows that yet, because nobody saw it except us, you would think maybe other audience members were the same way. I've seen this movie already. Why would I want to go back and see it again? And the trailer told me because it's the next day and everyone's getting murdered now and everyone has to figure out what's going on. That's what the trailer told me. It lies. <laughs> yes, the trailer. First of all, if you hadn't seen the first movie, the trailer spoiled everything. Yeah. Completely. I couldn't believe it, but I guess 115 million, they figured everybody who was going to see it had. And yes, the line said is, it's after all of us now. And I'm like, okay, why is this? Who is the murderer this time? How is it going to work? When did you guys see the film? And what did you heard going into the theater? I saw it very late. I just saw it a few hours ago before this recording because we are recording later than normal. But yeah, I went in 
knowing basically what the trailer said, that supposedly it's the next day, more people are dying, we gotta figure this out. I had heard that it was going sci-fi, and I'm like, okay, well, we talked about last week, that they're gonna try to explain why the day's repeating. So, sci-fi explanation, I guessed aliens based on the posters last week, that <laughs> wasn't quite right, but yes, it does go sci-fi, and that's what I had heard. That was probably the biggest spoiler I knew going in. I went into the movie thinking you were completely right, and it was psychic fetus. <laughs> Oh, jeez. I saw it Friday night. I thought, I want to see a horror movie on opening night, even though it opened up on Thursday. I figured No, no, it opened up on Wednesday. They opened it a day early because it was supposed to open on the one-year anniversary of the Stoneman Douglas mass shooting, that the school in Florida, and people complained. So they actually opened it a day earlier so it wouldn't fall on that anniversary. Got it. So I thought, still, Friday night for a horror movie... That's what I should see. The audience would be up for to be game, kind of like what happened with Halloween last October. And I was in there with about 25 of my closest friends. No one <laughs> sitting anywhere near me. The screen was nice and big. The sound was great. And I was probably the oldest person in there by a good 10 years. A couple of dates were in there, but mostly just a bunch of loners like me sitting there in a horror movie. That sounds like the saddest screening ever. <laughs> I don't know who else reacted to the movie besides me, because the only person I was hearing react at all was me. And it was really strange. It kind of felt like I was watching it at home. I didn't know anything else about this movie going in, Arnie, except what's in the trailer, which, again, as we talked about already, was completely misleading. I'm very happy I did not know about the sci-fi bent before it happened. I was very surprised it went there, but that's what they chose. And I saw this Sunday afternoon in New York City. Longtime listeners will notice a pattern. Every time we review a President's Day slash Valentine's Day movie, I'm in New York covering Toy Fair International. And because this was a Wednesday release, I'm like, I'll see it on Tuesday before going to New York. I won't have to figure out when to squeeze in a viewing while I'm covering all the toy releases for Star Wars Action News and Marvelicious Toys. But there wasn't a Tuesday night showing. And I'm dumbfounded until Stuart pointed out, Tuesday nights, AMC only charges $5 for any movie you want to see. And they probably didn't want you to be able to see new releases for $5. So they didn't open it until Wednesday during the day. So I ended up seeing this on Sunday, right as I finished my Toy Fair coverage, I raced down to a theater I didn't want to go to. It's in Times Square, the AMC Empire 25. If you've heard of it, you probably know it has bed bugs and rats. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is New York City. Oh, that man. seems appropriate. I didn't know if I'd have popcorn rat in the theater with me to go against pizza rat in the subway, but I did not want to go to that theater, but that's where I found myself. And man, I had trouble finding a showing that fit my time because it was on so few screens. Every movie we've done that I've seen in New York, all the way back to Friday the 13th, 2009, 10 years ago this weekend, Brock. Oh my God, we're that old, man. We're just old. Every movie we've reviewed has been on so many screens at so many times, I could go to any theater every 15 minutes. This Man, I was scraping for a time, and it was like one screen in a 25-screen theater. I couldn't believe it. And when I went to get my ticket, not a problem. <laughs> it was maybe a fifth full. I mean, it was a big theater. There were people in it. I wouldn't classify it as nearly empty, but there was a lot of unfilled seats, as the box office proved. 
But by seeing it late, I had seen one tweet. And the one tweet I read said people are upset because they were sold a horror film and got a sci-fi film. So going in, I had one expectation. It's not going to be as horrific, and there's going to be something sci-fi. Well, before we get stuck in this loop talking about everything about the movie except the movie, how about we go into a plot summary and get started? Well, when we ended the last film, Tree had finally ended her endless birthday loop. It was no longer Monday the 18th, but finally Tuesday the 19th. When this movie starts, though, we're seeing the day from a different point of view, that of Ryan, played by Fai Vu. Remember Ryan? I think he had one line in the last movie about a fine vagina. He was Carter's roommate, nothing but a punchline. Well, now he is a main character. And it turns out, despite his treatment and talk about women, he is a physics student. And not just a student, actually some sort of genius. He and his lab partner, Samir, played by Siraj Sharma, and Dre, played by Sarah Yarkin, have developed a machine that they thought would just slow time down around the core. In fact, it was the machine's firings that, A, caused the random rolling power outage from the first movie, and B, trapped Tree in her loop. But now that Tree came out of it, it seems Ryan is in. His Tuesday the 19th starts by walking in on Tree and Carter making out, like we saw at the end of the first film. Then he goes to his lab, where Dean Bronson, played by Steve Zissis, shuts down his project. And then Ryan is murdered by someone in a baby mascot mask, and the day starts over. He goes in, Tree quickly figures out what's going on and tells him about her repeated day, and with Tree and Carter's help, they unmask the babyface killer, and it's Ryan himself from a parallel dimension. He was brought into this dimension when the machine was fired, and he thinks two Ryans in the same dimension can be bad, like crossing the streams, so he tried to kill Ryan 1. The first Ryan decides just to fire up the machine again to fix the problem, which causes everyone to fly across the room, and suddenly, Tree wakes up again, and it's Monday the 18th. But it's not her Monday the 18th. It turns out that while many things are the same, including just about all the events on the quad, the woman asking about saving the environment, and the pledge falling over, but in this dimension... Tree's roommate Lori isn't trying to murder her, and Tree's mother is still alive, not having died in a car crash. Tree thinks this is a perfect life until she finds out Carter is dating Tree's frenemy Danielle, played by Rachel Matthews, and Danielle is just using him for homework help while cheating on him with hotter guys. But there is a babyface killer out there trying to kill Tree, I think? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> she enlists Ryan's help to stop the day from looping, and to do this, as it will take weeks of work, Tree must become a master of physics so she can remember every formula that's been tested to tell Ryan and his group the next day the time resets. And to stop from being murdered time and time again, Tree commits suicide day after day in increasingly creative fashions. Finally, Ryan gets the formula, and Tree has to make a decision. Does she stay in the timeline where Carter doesn't love her and her mother is still alive, or does she go back to her own dimension? She chooses to stay, but a dinner with her mother makes her realize this life isn't hers, so she tells Ryan to take her back. And as the Dean has confiscated all of Ryan's equipment, there's a convoluted, real genius-like scheme to steal the machine back, and while they do that, Tree stops the babyface killer, remember there's a killer, <laughs> and is actually trying to kill Lori. 
The killer this time is Dr. Gregory Butler. And if you don't remember him, I don't blame you. In the first movie in the Prime Universe, he was cheating on his wife with Tree and he was Tree's teacher. In this universe, he's cheating with Lori. And his wife found out, so he decided to kill Lori to cover it up. Although his wife knows everything and he kills his wife too. We're going to have to try to untangle that mess. If we must. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tree saves Lori and kills Butler, then returns home to her own dimension where she kisses Carter and credits roll. To a mid-credits scene, did you guys race from the theater or did you stay for this? I looked it up beforehand. Is there a end credit scene to know if I had to sit through this? I knew there was something to see. And Marvel has trained me enough when you have credits roll through like that pace instead of having it just scroll up on a screen that something is coming well we get to see tree ryan carter dre and samar approached by darpa to help them study time manipulation and they intentionally cause a time loop with the subject this time being danielle and the rest of the credits roll you know i had high hopes high 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 hopes right away because we had heard from the trailer everyone's going to be in the loop this time right so the opening universal logo was three different logos concurrently, like in split screens, kind of like the Thomas Crown Affair, if you remember that movie, when they split things up on the screen. Or anything De Palma at all. Oh, okay, great. Was used Brian De Palma as an example. <laughs> but the point was, I was excited. Like, oh, that's how they're going to do it. That's how they're going to have three people run around at the same time living their days. I thought that was very clever. And we never see that convention used for the rest of the movie again. Oh, man, you gave this movie a lot more credit than I did <laughs> going in. I do wonder because I'm like, oh, okay, they're doing the same thing with the logo. I wonder if I went back and paid attention because we're talking about parallel universes where there's differences between them. I wonder if they messed with like the configuration of the countries or if the font's a little bit different ah. or something like that. I don't know if they got that creative. They ran at slightly different speeds. You never got to see the whole thing. I thought it was actually kind of weird. I thought it was fun. They were playing with the Universal logo again. Yeah. But I wasn't understanding what three of them meant until later in the movie where I realized we were seeing three parallel dimensions, which is intriguing as this movie only really deals, I think, with two. But, you know, when we start dealing with the concept of a multiverse, there could be so many. And the thing I noticed after that is we hear the sound of a bell backwards as we see Ryan waking up in his car and on his dash is a figure of Nikolai Tesla. That gives it all away right there. Sci-fi. If you, I didn't know that going in, that would have been a huge clue. Yeah, just immediately I'm like, okay, we've got some prestige shit going on now. <laughs> I don't know. I just want one of those Tesla figures from my office so I can put it up there and people think I'm smart. <laughs> they actually make an Einstein one, but... They sure do. It's all over a Night at the Museum, if you've seen those movies. But, you know, Ryan has a really nice... It looks brand new Kia, this nice green Kia. When he comes in, he complains it smells like Hot Pockets and feet. I think Kia deserves a better product placement than that. <laughs> Jacob, you said a minute ago I was giving this movie too much credit. It continued in this scene. After Ryan gets out of his car and he walks through the quad, I recognized the girl with the clipboard. I recognized a couple of other places and people, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. They're recreating the first movie. This is amazing. Look at how many things they got right. And I was really into it. And when he got to the actual dorm room, I'm like, wow, look, the set looks great. And she still looks really old, but it's still kind of cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, they do set you up. It's like, oh, uh, old woman with a dog that barks at Ryan and a homeless man that pops out of the bushes. I'm like, okay, these are the things we're going to see over and over throughout this film. Right. But no, they don't really go there. My audience got a good laugh out of the trumpet player who gives the guy the finger (laughs) after he screams, shut up. But... I could kind of tell in this movie where they might have reused some footage. I don't think they got the people back who were doing the pledging. I do think they got the Stop Global Warming Girl back. Mm -hmm. But some of it, I think, was just good reuse of footage. But yes, I think immediately I'm jotting it down because I think it's going to be Ryan, the main character now. And I'd be completely okay with that. It would be really freaking brave to do that, right? To make your main character now a very minor supporting character and to make this guy who just had one rude line in the film the star. But hey, maybe Jessica Roth had a lot of other things going on. This is where my mind was. And that she and Israel Broussard wouldn't be in the film that much. And it would be all Ryan all the time. (laughs) So kind of like a short circuit two kind of thing when they couldn't get Steve Gutenberg back. Yeah, exactly. I guess this is a real short circuit (laughs) too. But with Ryan, it was kind of a strange thing because we came in and he was doing his thesis experiment before he was murdered. The Dean came in and said he was taking the machine away and had security guards. And then, Ryan started getting texted photos of himself from places that there couldn't be anybody. So that had me really wondering, still, how were those photos taken and texted to him? I'm assuming Ryan, too, was just like hiding around the corner, taking them and texting them to him. I don't know what to what purpose. I thought, oh, this is something that's going to be coming back repeatedly. Like, why are mysterious things showing up like this? People living right in between the dimensions or something. But no, it's just for some scares at the beginning here, some spookiness. Yeah, it didn't really pay off. But on the other hand, I had to help the film along trying to think perhaps Ryan 2 wanted to get Ryan 1 somewhere alone so no one would see both of them together. If he murders him in the science lab and puts him in a closet, then he can take over as Ryan and blah, blah, blah. I I had to help the movie along to try to justify the aspect. But I agree, I kind of was fairly intrigued with how these pictures were being taken and all that jazz. So it worked in that sense. But if you think about it for just a quick second, it doesn't really make much sense. We don't know who's behind the baby mask. We just know someone in a baby mask is killing Ryan. So as we see all these aspects of what we're going to get with a time loop. He does get killed in his science lab. He wakes up again. He has that whole discovery of he's back in the day. And he goes to Tree back in the room and she finds out what's going on. And we get something I haven't seen in I can't remember how long. A recap of the previous movie in this movie. It took me by surprise. Later on, I figured out why they did it. But here I'm like, why on earth would they possibly do a recap? Anyone who's watching this movie saw the first one. Why would they do that? Oh, because this is a real Infinity War. If you haven't seen the other 17 films, you're going to be lost in this one. You got to know about (laughs) the biology professor slash doctor who's married. They got to set all that up just in case you didn't see that first one. Yeah, it's really important that you understand who these characters are this time, especially bringing up stuff like Dr. Gregory and Laurie, because the more familiar you are with the first film, the more you're going to be ahead of this film during its first act. I completely agree. Having seen the original one so close to this one, I was picking up a lot of these things, and the recap for me was redundant, but again, later in the movie... 
absolutely right. You have got to be up on this to understand who people are and what's going on and why Tree and Ryan are doing what they're doing. I like that they go to the basketball game where everybody's wearing the baby mask. Yeah, I think that was the one clever joke <laughs> that I kind of chuckled at. It was, yeah, we got to hide from this killer and let's go to the game where everyone's dressed up as the mascot. I liked that the subway guy was there and had got himself that fine piece of man ass. I was happy about that. <laughs> I was too. It was like he became self-actualized because of Tree's repeated day. She had a positive influence and he now had a date and was very happy. The joke was good, but I kind of liked that when they had the fire alarm and everyone had to leave and there were baby-faced killers everywhere, I thought again, for the second time already in one movie, they actually had a bit of a suspense on where's the killer, where's the killer, what's going on? They actually did that pretty well here until you see the baby-faced killer in the hood standing still and, and Ryan has to go against the flow of traffic. I thought that was well done. I really did enjoy the suspense of it and the horror movie aspect of that scene. It was horror movie light, PG-13 for sure, but I thought it worked well. I liked the little details that when you finally see the killer, the mask is dirty and scuffed. You now know because you've been like, who is it? Who is it? But the moment you see him, those little differences, plus the body language of the stuntman under the mask, tell you for sure who it is. Well, part of me wonders why absolutely nobody is paying attention to two people going against the flow of traffic. And I'm wondering why Ryan never yells, that dude's got a knife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, it was a fake out because we thought Babyface Killer was above. They're in like some Bespin gantry with graded floors. Yeah. <laughs> it's the boiler room, <laughs> but there's also merchandise down there. And it turns out that up there was Carter and Babyface was down there. And so Tree knocks him out with a trophy that looks like a Super Bowl trophy. I don't know why there's a Super Bowl trophy in this storage room. <laughs> I thought that too. Yeah. I'm like, they just win the NBA championship? I had no idea what that was. Maybe it's the Oscar this film is never going to win. And we're supposed to believe this killer, who's a, at least has a good six inches on Ryan, is also Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> Broad shoulders, a couple extra inches. Yeah, it's well, all right. Let's go with it. We'll just move with it. But yeah, I was a little freaked out when they took off the mask and it was Ryan too. That shocked the hell out of me. Whatever I expected Whatever sci-fi it was, I wasn't expecting the Star Trek episode Mirror Mirror, you know, with bearded Spock. Come on, you said prestige. That has like 100 Hugh Jackmans in it. I know. That's where my mind went second is, oh, okay. You think they made a duplicator machine. We really are is in the prestige. I find it hilarious. They're going to tie this Ryan up in the lab to interrogate him. Obviously, this actor who plays Ryan is not a twin because that's a really bad wig whenever they do a back shot of the guy tied up. I'm like cracking up. I'm like, oh, man, they, they couldn't even get a good wig to look like his hair. One special effect that I'm going to disagree with you on, Brock. Yeah. I think Tree looks a lot younger in this film. I was marveling <laughs> at how much younger she looked than she did in part one. But, you know, she definitely is not the same age as Carter, that's for sure. And Or Ryan. It's, it's, she's, like, older. She's not like Rue McClanahan here. She's just older. <laughs> so I'm forgetting how it happened, and maybe you guys remember. At this point, they had him tied up, and then the dean comes in, and the whole slow-mo thing happens, because that part I really enjoyed. I was confused, because we get Ryan 2 saying, kill Ryan 1, 
And then Ryan one immediately was like, no, let's kill Ryan two. I'm like, okay, that is a big leap right here. Ryan <laughs> one, you have no idea what's going on, but let's immediately kill my twin. And then Ryan one goes, screw it. I know what to do. I think he's going to fry Ryan two. I think his plan is I'm going to fire up this machine and electrocute Ryan two. Yeah. The machine goes, Everyone gets blown back in slow motion, and they have the operatic aria playing. From True Romance. It's from the Christopher Walken scene in True Romance. I mean, that's what I know it from. Obviously, it's much older than that movie. But, <laughs> And I liked the facial expressions of people in slow-mo as they went. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Everyone's face was really great. Everyone's face was really great. I, I feel like that's the best compliment this film is going to get. Everyone's face was great. <laughs> and younger, apparently, according to Arnie. I was looking. I'm like, why is this in slow motion? Samar, he's like, his yoo drink is spilling all over. I'm like, are there little clues we're supposed to get here that are going to play into this later? No, because now they're going to totally change the plot. It's not going to be about the day after Tree's birthday. It's just going to be happy death day all over again, the first one. That was a shock, and I was like, okay, we have to get the formula. This makes sense. Okay, we're bringing now Tree to the fore, and we're back on her day. How are you going to have a sequel to a movie about a person whose days repeat and have the same person be the star? Well, you gotta put them back in the day, and they found a way to do that. Magic. I saw this time, I didn't see it last time, that they had the Back to the Future poster on Carter's wall. And so once she got her going through the day, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to do a Back to the Future 2 here. That's amazing. How many movies have a chance to do that? Good for them. Why would you want to do Back to the Future 2? Go listen to your guy's review. (laughs) (laughs) Brock liked it the best of all of us, I will say. Yes, and I've seen that movie many times. What I love about Back to the Future 2 is they took an opportunity that many movies don't have a chance to do is go back into their first movie. The whole thing didn't work completely, but it was kind of fun how they played with the first movie. So I was giving them props here. Hey, way to go. They're going to do this Back to the Future thing. And then they call it out right there in the movie. Almost immediately, Carter says, it's like Back to the Future 2. And that took all the fun away from me. See, I made that argument when they called out the last one being Groundhog Day. And you guys liked that. But here, because they called it out so early, I didn't mind. It's not like I sat through the whole film going, yes, I know, you're Back to the Future 2. And then they <laughs> called it out. They just call it out right at the beginning. And my thing is, the last movie you had to admit your Groundhog Day, but here, I guess it's kind of Back to the Future 2, but it's, I mean, it's not really Back to the Future 2. Not really, yeah. (laughs) No, it's only for us people watching the movie that know that they went back into the first movie, but yeah, it's a little weak for him to mention it. You know, it's a good running gag in my mind that Tree has seen no movies She doesn't know Groundhog Day. She doesn't know what Back to the Future is. She's like the opposite of the new Peter Parker in in the Marvelized Spider-Man, who's just full of pop culture of old movies, quote, end quote. Yeah. You remember that old movie? Uh, I don't know what movie I'm in, let alone this old movie of which you speak. (laughs) I figured out almost instantly something was off. I love the performance Jessica Roth gives as she's going through the quad and is just really upset. And I'm actually with her. And you know why? It was because of the subway date guy. You know, Tree had her own arc in the first film and came out a better person. But 
I didn't really realize that by being a better person, she was having a positive influence on other people's lives. And seeing the subway guy so happy with his man ass, I really was upset because she wasn't going to live that perfect day again and he would never find self-actualization. This is what was going through my mind. Yeah, but she does run into him. You're gay. And just <laughs> moves on. Like That was funny. It was funny because I don't know if you guys are watching The Good Place on TV. It's actually an incredible show. Yes. Very, very good show. Enjoy it very much. But that seemed like something you'd see on that show because they just have things like you basic. Just the straight with the hand waving and everything. It felt like it was taken from that show. But when they got to the house... It was so funny, though, because that poor Asian sorority sister still can't get a wave out of tree. (laughs) But I remembered the entire exchange because we just reviewed it with Danielle there. And even before the movie, I feel it almost went a step too far by playing the audio, you know, as if tree is remembering what was said. But that came one beat after I'm like, wait, where's the roommate? Yeah, they obviously give you hints. Something's different. Danielle's not down. Down there to greet her tree realizes something's weird and no poison cupcake this time yeah she goes out of her way to defeat the issue that plagued her the whole time yeah i love that the first thing she's gonna do is murder her roommate <laughs> and then solve the problem <laughs> yeah that's it and then there was no cupcake and i kind of liked it but it kind of felt tiresome maybe because i just watched the first movie before so they had all these different changes and things like that not until a few minutes from now did i want to play along with this I kind of felt disappointed after what we had seen in the first 25 minutes that they're going right back into the first movie until it got interesting a few minutes from now. I get it. I guess I get why they're doing it, but that's just a shame. I am almost with you, Brock. Almost. My thinking was, oh, God, we're going to have to deal with the whole Lori thing again. And so I was a little bit heavy hearted when she goes in and is like, where's the cupcake? And Lori's like, I didn't make you a cupcake. Well, Maybe Lori felt Tree was on to her or something, but it's very quick that you realize Lori really isn't trying to kill her. When I realized they were going to mess with the formula, I'm into it now. It's like, okay, Lori isn't the killer. It's a whodunit again. I kind of like this. We're now in Clue, which is a movie I love. I put it in our underrated movies book. It's now like the second ending. This is how it could have been. It could have been Lori. Or here's another scenario and we can go through and find the clues. I think we find out we're in a parallel universe when this new group is discussing Thing Tree and all the scientist kids. And Danielle walks up and starts making out with Carter. They're now they're a thing. And that's what tells us, okay, something has shifted because Danielle hated Carter in that first film. Yeah, and she knows all the nerds' names and things like that. And she's a whole different attitude. She's a drama student now. It was a little bit of a shift, and that was kind of amusing. But to watch Tree's face and to watch the actress who who plays Danielle do all that stuff was a lot of fun because... She showed a little bit of range there. Good for her. Fun. You you felt this was a range when she was like blind and because I oh no I'm like no, no this no. is embarrassing. <laughs> this is bad. No, I meant <laughs> that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I meant no. The blind acting was so bad, Jacob, that it takes a pretty good actress to do that bad a job pretending to be blind. Don't you agree? Yeah, I didn't think this was funny. Bad though, it just seemed corny to me. It's, talked about the last one, how it comes off feeling Disney. This one even Disneyer. I don't know. I was laughing when she said Anne Frank was blind. Okay, I don't know if they stole that, but there is a comedian, Bert 
Kreischer. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's got some Netflix specials and done stuff for Comedy Central. He has a whole thing about going to the Anne Frank house thinking it's Helen Keller. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, they steal that joke? Because that's a really funny bit. But looking it up, it looks like there's been a lot of jokes about that. So maybe they didn't steal it, but I wouldn't put it past them. I haven't heard of that comic. I may want to check him out because it was just funny to me that she was so oblivious like that. And while she knew Carter, it was a weird thing for Danielle because I also liked her line, talk to me when you're done with your Comic-Con, whatever. But would Danielle know what Comic-Con is and why would Danielle be so repulsed by the group if she's dating Carter? It was a weird moment for me that was funny and yet I wasn't quite sure what was being played. I guess ultimately she's using Carter. She's not really into him. I guess that's the big reveal later on. But I'm thinking this is weird. This really is a parallel universe if she's really into this guy. I mean, isn't he like a freshman or younger than them? And that was part of her disdain for Tree hooking up with him. He was also not a frat guy. He was just a guy in a dorm. Right, So he was beneath them, quote-unquote. It wasn't an acceptable social match, according to the sorority. Carter with her, though, is a nice twist. And you know what? <laughs> Good on Israel Broussard. <laughs> he gets to kiss two really attractive women that are so out of his league in these two movies. <laughs> but this parallel universe, I don't know that Tree really figures it out until she gets the call from her dad. They have that lunch again. I figured it out. I knew what was coming. Parallel universe. They made such a big deal about dead mom. I knew, oh, mom's alive. I actually thought maybe the mom's going to be the killer in this one, but I knew that mom was going to be alive. I kind of liked the mom was alive. Now I see the, some stakes. Now I see some difference. When they actually bring the mother back, the first movie we thought was all about Tree coming to grips with her mom's death and trying to and being a nicer person and coming back to herself after her mom's dead. But now her mom is alive. This movie is not about that anymore. This whole thing's not about that. What is it going to be about? And I was very happy to see that because it gave this movie somewhere to go. It actually has a chance for us to be invested in what Tree is going to go through. To me, it totally shifts the movie. It's no longer a slasher. Look, that last one was barely a slasher. It's a PG-13 slasher. But this one, now it's about family reunions and relationships. And that's fine. I like dramas. I like family dramas. But you told me I'm getting a slasher where everyone's dying and there's going to be some weird sci-fi twist and we're going to spend a lot on this family drama. It makes me think that perhaps Christopher Landon doesn't like horror. Because the last movie was written by Scott Lobdell, and it went through a number of creative teams. Christopher Landon did give the script a polish, but Blumhouse was like, you're making this movie. Maybe he's the one who made it a little bit more comedic, because now he's writing and directing completely on his own, and the horror goes away. There's a killer. Tree gets killed her first day on this loop, but that's it. There's just the one. And then she goes, she tells Ryan, hey, I'm stuck in this loop again. And the solution is, why don't you kill yourself? Because that's better than being murdered. Yeah, and this really annoys me. Not because it's, oh, it's suicide and what if kids copy you? No, it's because you've thrown out the rules. You set up in the first film, when she dies, those injuries 
are retained. It's wearing down her body. That seems to be completely forgotten until it's a very convenient plot point to bring up later on in the film. She's just going to do a whole montage of suicide and... It doesn't matter, it's a, even though it's supposedly wearing her body down. They do have her indicate it when she wakes up, but yes, they play these deaths for complete last with the big hair that's smoking and the wood chipper Fargo one. <laughs> that one was good, I, right. because it wasn't in the trailer, you know? <laughs> and the Drano, the best part of the Drano is like the old guy who watches. <laughs> yeah, the guy. It's the guy running away, yeah. <laughs> totally. And then when she flips off the audience when she's in her bikini and she falls in front of Danielle and Carter making out, they had fun with it. I understand what you're saying, Jacob. It's the old bait and switch, completely. But they're setting up rules that they're not even sticking to. Like, this was supposed to be why she couldn't just keep dying and slowly figure out who the murderer was in the last film. There's a ticking clock. They came up with some mechanization to move the story forward, to give it some urgency, and it's just all done away again. I thought... That was going to play a bigger part here. Nope, not until the end when they needed to play a part. We talked about in the Groundhog Day episode, we all liked that they didn't explain to us why the time loop happened. This whole movie is about that. Is that necessary? And I think Arnie might be onto something. Perhaps he does not want to have a horror franchise anymore because the deaths don't become deaths. They become suicides. The whole thing is completely different genre. But once you have that different genre, are you able to have fun with it is the real question, right? Are you able to go along with this at all? You're still angry the whole time that they're not giving us the slasher movie that they barely gave us the last time. Here's my thing. And this is something that I've really been trying to wrestle with. And it's very difficult with any movie. You go in with expectations, and when you expect one thing and you wanted that thing and you don't get it, I think it's very difficult for people to then be able to distance themselves from what they did get. And I would say the epitome of this would be The Last Jedi. People thought they knew what they would get. What they got was something so completely different than what they had written in their head and imagined and what the trailers had sold them. And that has led to a lot of online vitriol. I mean, it's one thing to subvert expectations, but the mere act of subverting expectations doesn't make it good or intriguing. Last Jedi, you could have had Luke just shitting on Yoda's head for two hours. That's subverting expectations. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good movie. To set up rules in your universe and then throw them out, that's a problem to me. The fact that this is going to go more sci-fi, whatever, I go along with it that it's a family drama well i did kind of want just a, a stupid slasher but that you're gonna throw the rules out that's my problem i feel like i was better prepared because i read it was sci-fi not horror that i went in and i left my expectations at the door and i'm like what are you going to give me i am open to whatever experience you give me and every once in a while i have that like when we reviewed lock i didn't know anything about it i hadn't even watched a trailer and i put it in and i'm like i don't know what you are but show me and let me see what i think and so that's how i went into this and so the sci-fi stuff the parallel dimension stuff even all the deaths none of that really bothered me because i saw they were trying to keep the same humor and the montage is there to show us she is getting weaker time and time again the montage ends with her going to the hospital again. And we kind of replay that scene from part one where Dr. Gregory, as I call him, that, that seems like a really soap opera thing to do. I guess it would be Dr. Butler, but Dr. Gregory comes in and 
he doesn't know her. She's not even in his class. And I mean that as in literally he is not her teacher. And yet her medical records make no sense. She should be dead. And it is giving us a little bit of a ticking clock. She can't keep dying. The next time she dies could be the last. Anytime she could have died could have been her last. We don't know that. That was the whole point of setting up these rules. But now it's like, no, we can't do it because I might be dead for real this time. It just feels contrived to me. Like it's there for convenience sake, for their use, not to set up rules that they got to work within. It didn't bother me as much as it bothers you on this one, Jacob. They do drop it in, and since also we have the knowledge from the first movie, unlike Back to the Future Part 2 when they're doing this, they assumed all of us had seen the first movie, and here they don't seem to care if we've seen the first movie beyond the recap. They're trying to bring this into a whole different direction, and they'll bring it back around as they need to. Here, let me put it this way. I think they're making up new rules because they realized they would have a really repetitive series if they just did the same thing over and over again. What they could have done is have a different person completely relive a day over and over again, and I think a lot of us would have been happy with that movie. Yeah, I thought that's what they advertised, that other people were going to die, and they're going to have to repeat it, and they're going to have to save multiple people. Now look, I'm good with throwing out those expectations that the studio itself set up for me, but you got to work within your rules of the universe. And I agree, but those rules were kind of loose and fast last time. So the fact that they're keeping it a little loose this time and repeating some beats, I'm okay with that. But like you said, Jacob, what we have here now is a drama. We have Tree looking at what her life is in this parallel dimension where people like her. No one's trying to kill her. Whereas in her main life, the suspect list was endless of who <laughs> might be trying to kill me. And her mom's alive and that was a major trauma for her. But she seems really upset that Carter and Danielle are together. I mean, my thinking of that is, Tree, you're not above stealing the boyfriend. We've seen this. So stick around and steal him. Yeah, my wife's like, they're just in college. It doesn't mean he's going to marry Danielle. Just break him up and date him and get him on your side. The one thing, Jacob, they drop early and it doesn't come back until later in the movie is that the memories that are on her phone are not her own memories. They're of the Tree in this universe. And so therefore, all these things that she should know, she doesn't know, which ended up coming into play much later in the movie. That is something, if you want to talk about setting up rules and not playing with them, that is one thing I can agree with you on. Because they drop that really early, that she's looking through these photos, and then it takes like, what, 30 minutes before that becomes a factor to her again. Yeah, that's going to convince her that maybe she shouldn't stick around in this timeline, because that is, I guess the dilemma here is, let's get out of this time loop, but she also wants to stay in this parallel dimension, because her mom's still alive, and she's going to have a moment where she realizes, oh, this is all fake, this isn't who I am. I've been really nice to Jessica Roth so far. Here it comes. Here it comes. But she does not sell me on this drama. This actress needs to have a huge emotional transformation and bring me on her journey and make me think she needs to stay here or really think she's making the wrong decision. But because this movie had been so jokey that when it tries to tug at my heartstrings, I'm left going, this isn't quite working. And I think it may be the editing. It may be the writing. It may be the actress. So I just said, here it comes all excited, right? I was thinking you're going to like throw down here and make some funny, like really pithy comment. No, you actually had a really good thing to say, which is good. I mean, that's what we want, aren't you? But... <laughs> 
I'm just I'm just saying that much like the movie, I thought it was being set up for something and I got something else. I just had a movie moment right there. He expects pithy comments from you is what he's saying. I thought he was gonna totally this destroyer. I'm the Arnie from the parallel dimension. Would you like to discuss my love of the aviator? Actually, I would. Yes, I. I love the use of flash bulbs in that movie. <laughs> so artistic. Oh, the way that they use the sepia tones—it's just genius. <laughs> Conversely, where's the murderer? Why do we even have a murderer in this dimension? Yeah, I'm so annoyed that Tombs is back. Like they're gonna play that up. Like, is he the killer again this time? I actually thought, because I'm like, it's not Tombs. We know that. They're not going to try to convince us that this time he's the killer. But all the murders are happening at the hospital. I did think maybe it's another tree. I thought it was the tree from that dimension that she was actually still there. Because they set it up with Ryan at the beginning that there could be doppelgangers. But that never comes back. But I did think it was going to be tree, even though they show us the babyface killer struggling with tree. I'm like, that's obviously a dude. <laughs> but I thought she wanted to be with her mom. It was going to be a fight over the mom. I thought it was going to be the Indian guy with the Yoohoo because he is the only guy who had the height and the broad shoulders enough to be the killer. And because at one point he's not with the rest of the group. And then, of course, it wasn't him at all. So I was completely disappointed. I thought it'd be kind of cool to have him as a second doppelganger as well, Jacob. I was right there with you to have the whole second person thing, which they completely dropped. But I didn't think it was her at all. I think I like your thought better, Jacob, that it could have been Tree to call back to the previous Ryan double thing. Or just have Tree because they have different personalities. This Tree could have been a real bitch and just wanted to kill all these people for whatever reason. The writers could come up with something and put it in there, that would have been a nice twist. That, oh, the last film she had to become the nice girl, and now the nice girl is killing everyone. That is good. I like that thought, Jacob, that the victim becomes the killer. That would be an unexpected twist. You know what I wanted was, when I left the theater, I'm like, you know what I really, really want? I want to see Tree 2 in whatever universe she's in. What is her life like? You know, is she really upset her mom's dead in this universe and she's dating Carter? I mean, what is her thought? Because Tree acts like this is all me. I mean, it's a very selfish way she looks at it, even at the end, is what she's giving up and what she is doing. I mean, we do see her be selfish because she decides to run away with her parents and they're like, well, Lori's going to be killed at the hospital tonight. I can't help her. I'm out of here. But how selfish is it to not think of other tree? What if she's in a dimension with green mucus creatures? I mean, really, what is she living? I think we're all saying the same thing. This film could have been much more creative. It plays it by the numbers. It tries to be more dramatic after being funny when I think it could have kept with the funny and actually told the same story better. Oh, yeah. It's very jarring when its tone shifts to all about mommy and daughter. And yeah, that drama where, again, I never thought this was funny, but I could see that they were going for humor. I wasn't laughing, but it is a big tonal change. I think the first movie had so much of her coming to grips with her mom stuff that this movie is assuming that... It's assuming Reed care. I felt like she was over it. Yeah. And now she's back under it. Well, yeah, she's completely under it again because her mom's alive, right? And she has a chance to be with her mom again, but not really. So, yeah. The fact that she puts it upon herself that she decides to go back 
but she also has to be Lori's savior. She has to be a superhero and she can't die because she might really die. Yeah, this is the part of the movie that I stopped giving it chances with because she had to go back to the hospital and they had to do this whole... This is the part when they had Danielle come back as Amelie Le Pew and do the whole blind thing with the Dean, right? This is the whole time when she seduces the Dean to get the keys to get the, the mechanism. Yeah, they got to get the mechanism back and then they got to also stop the killer. My wife's like, how many side quests are they going to have? Just let's get to it. So we're talking about tonal shifts, right? So we had a murder mystery. We've had a sci-fi movie. We had a little bit of a slasher thing, more or less. We have a family drama, and now we have Police Academy. <laughs> it's it's so bad. It's really crazy bad. And, you know, you say Police Academy, and yeah, I can kind of see that with Commandant Lassard or whatever. Actually, his guy, Proctor. I thought Proctor from Police Academy was the Dean guy with the glasses. But this stuff, it's not funny, it's not realistic. I do enjoy somewhat the actress playing Danielle and some of her double takes and some of her obviously seeing when the Dean is completely missing it type stuff as some of her pratfalls. They're giving her a chance to play. I guess if you want to see people get in the sandbox and play with their pails, I guess that's a compliment. I mean, the fact that she's like pulling her glasses down, they're sunglasses. You can see through them already so she could spot the keys. I'm like, is that just supposed to be a visual cue to the audience so we know she's looking at it? Just none of it makes sense to me. Also, it's very cartoony in that when she breaks and he doesn't pick up on it at all, this is the Dean as in community. It's, it doesn't make any sense. I was going to ask him, was this Dean in community? Is this a TV sitcom guy? Because, ooh, that's how he plays it. In a way, it fits this movie because all those suicides felt like live action Looney Tunes. And so I could kind of go with it on that level, but I don't see where this fits the dramatic arc we were supposed to witness Tree take. It's two totally different things, and a good director and writer can balance them. This is Christopher Landon. I've only seen these two films of his, but I'm thinking he might need to work a little bit more on that balance. And correct me if I'm wrong, Arnie, you said failed test screenings for the first Happy Death Day revealed the killer to be the doctor and his wife, correct? No, it was just the doctor's wife trying to kill her husband's lover. Okay, they kind of go with that failed test screening ending in this one for the reveal of the killer. Now it's the doctor. I guess he's still having the affair with Lori and the wife is found out now, so the best way to deal with that is to shoot her? I did have a laugh, though, when the wife hands the gun to the doctor and the doctor just shoots the wife right out of the departed in the elevator scene at the end. Why on earth would you give that man a gun? I don't understand any <laughs> of this. Like, yeah, I want a divorce and shoots her and then goes to shoot other people. I'm, I don't understand what this movie's doing now. I am in a parallel dimension if this makes sense to someone. Oh, yeah. I was actually with this movie when it's the doctor is the killer. He's killing Lori because his wife was finding out and he is going to do this to save his marriage or not lose half his money to alimony or whatever. He doesn't want the wife to know. And so instead of just breaking it off with Lori, he's going to kill Lori. You know what? I'll go with that. But then the wife is in on it. Why does he want Lori dead then? I 
they give me nothing. I could sit here and write reasons. Like the wife is saying, I'll stay with you if you prove you love me by killing her. None of it's in the movie. There's no motivation for the doctor to kill Lori. There's even less motivation for the doctor to kill his wife. When you look at it together, this doctor is just not acting like any human being would. And one more thing that's of import. At this part in the movie... There's like no hospital staff anywhere. How can there not be anybody else these people can go to for help? And then after this whole thing is done, the whole hospital staff seems to come off break and comes back into the hospital. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. I was thinking to myself, where the hell is everybody else? Because they're doing this in the middle of the hallway. There are gunshots being fired. Those are loud. That should attract people. Let them know something's going on. Exactly. This must be with a floor under construction. That was a laugh line earlier in the movie. They didn't even go back to that scene. They did it in the middle of the hallway in the main hospital. That blew my mind. This whole thing was breaking down. And that's where I went, Arnie, because I too was not buying it with the husband and the wife and the whole thing. And also, why does she feel the need to save the roommate? Because she's going to leave anyway. It's all going to become moot. No, 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 though. But it's a parallel dimension that will continue on. And in this dimension, Lori would be dead. Now, her Lori is already dead. <laughs> she's got to go back, yeah, and kill Lori. But I guess the irony is she's trying to save her this time. I guess. I guess is right. <laughs> I had to do a lot of guessing here. And then she races back and they're just in time. The machine goes off and she doesn't have to kill Lori again because she wakes up and it's back where it was on Tuesday the 19th. But where is Ryan too? Was he sent home? Where He's just gone. The movie just forgets he existed. I don't think they actually cover that. I don't even think they even bothered giving no they never mentioned it where is he yeah because they go back to the day before for most of the film when they're before there's a ryan too and yeah who knows <laughs> because we got to get funny stuff with that dean in the film we got to have more hygiene <laughs> that's what's important and we know she's back because she wakes up not in the dorm room right she wakes up after that whole slow-mo true romance operatic thing right they wake up from on the floor and they end the movie there it's strange by that point, I was happy to have it end. <laughs> I really was. I'm like, all right, she's back home. The movie doesn't care. Why should I? Credits roll, but the lights don't come up. I'm like, oh boy, where are we going to go? <laughs> is Sam Jackson going to show up to recruit her for the Avengers? What's going to happen? Is she going to be the big hero of Endgame? Kind of. I mean, an African-American bald man does show up to recruit her. But he's not from the Avengers, he's from DARPA. Yeah, okay, so Ryan's machine is in there, and the entire team, the whole Scooby <laughs> gang, comes to the DARPA place. Because they know the algorithm, the algorithm that Tree had to memorize. She's a biology, I mean, at least we're told she's taking advanced biology. I'm guessing quantum physics is very different, but she has memorized these complex algorithms, so only she knows how to make the machine work the way it's supposed to. And then Carter's just tagging along. The whole group is going. It doesn't seem very secretive. So why is Ryan's machine there? Did they drop a line that DARPA people stole it and put it there to use for themselves? I took it as Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, with the Ark at the end. Yeah, the government came in and took it. That Dean complained about it so much that they took it. They realized what it could do, and now they want to experiment with it. I thought this was going to be a setup for the third. Yes. It's more of just a joke, though. Landon did say in an interview he has an idea for an even crazier part three that this is setting up. But you know what this ending reminded me of? And this is not a good thing to remind 
remind me of the ending of The Predator when they have that super predator suit. The one that came out last year, that bad one. Yeah, that one. Remember that, Brock, where they're suddenly in this lab with scientists we've never seen before and talking about a mission we're going to do next time. And it almost feels like they're on the same set and they're doing the same thing. And I have the same bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, this is not play for me at all. It ends on a joke and it it just doesn't need to do that. The last thing they need to do is go that broad again. I get it. They want to end on a funny note, but I really hope they don't have that as their setup. I do like the very last thing, although it is cruel. Danielle was cheating on Carter in one dimension. And Danielle... Well, she's a bitch in this dimension, as we saw in the last film. Yeah, Danielle is a bitch in this one. But does being a bitch mean you should be targeted by DARPA to endlessly loop a day? Yeah, it's weird that a government agency is going to do this to an individual against their will, but it does seem like in a Groundhog Day scenario, if you're a jerk, that's why you get stuck in these loops to learn to become a good person. So she's a candidate for that kind of situation. And wouldn't they want to have a controlled experiment in that someone they actually know and someone they can actually like monitor already as opposed to one of the Scooby gang's friends or enemies yeah we have thought way too much about this stupid joke i did love though danielle waking up and just screaming and i just imagined that like this was her twenty thousandth day and she was still a bitch yeah. like what happens to an irredeemable person on groundhog day it's purgatory for eternity so jacob arnie do you recommend happy death day to you jacob i want to apologize to The first film, Happy Death Day, I said that was a Disney slasher. I did not know how much more Disney it was going to get. I didn't mind the sci-fi stuff. That's cool. Do some sci-fi with your horror. Got no problem there. Just all the drama and all these family moments. And remember when we ate two cinnamon rolls, we were so excited on our birthday. None of it works for me. The film, it breaks rules, but if it could be entertaining, that'd be less annoying It just asks a lot of questions or puts a lot of things on the table. Chekhov's doppelganger rule, you introduce doppelgangers in the first act, they better show up in the third act. Or why is this Dean? Why has he got such a hard-on to get rid of this sci-fi machine? They give us some real stupid reasons, but I don't buy any of it, and that's my problem. If this was better at just being a goofy comedy, I could go with it, but it wants to be a lot of things, and it ends up being none of them. This is a not recommend. Arnie. I think my answer is pretty obvious from the tenor of the conversation we had in the second half of the film. But I do want to say, when I walked out of the theater, I was slightly on the fence. I'm like, the ending did fall apart. By fall apart, I mean, there were things like Ryan 2 completely dropped, and the drama didn't work. But I had to really question, was that lackluster ending going to counteract i mean either way it was going to be a pretty weak down the middle kind of recommend not recommend because i enjoyed the first half of the movie i enjoyed the conceit i liked the concept i liked dual ryan's i liked the parallel universe theory stuff i liked watching tree having to become a physics expert 
And I laughed during her wily coyote bikini jump out of a plane. I would think if you're trying to kill yourself and you know your body's taking the damage, you'd try gentle stuff that, you know, slit a wrist or something, not smash your body flat. And why would they allow you to skydive over a campus anyway? Oh, I got so many questions. The first time you skydive, you always have someone strapped to you. Yeah, why are they right over the camp? <laughs> oh, don't get me started on this skydiving scene. But... I felt like I enjoyed the first half of the movie, and the longer it went, the more it fell apart. So I went out to dinner with like a whole bunch of friends after that, and I arrived fashionably late because I had to go see a freaking movie. I'm like, the whole walk there, I'm like, I think it's probably a not recommend. I just, I think it is. And I get there, and everybody's like, oh, you saw a movie. Should we go see it? I was like, hell no. Oh, there's my answer. Not recommend. <laughs> a moment of clarity for Arnie. I am right there with you, Arnie. I was enjoying a lot of this movie. Yes, they had the bait and switch. Yes, there's a lot of problems with it. Yes, I turned on the movie during the whole police academy section, as I called it. And I didn't really like how it just ended. But for the majority of this movie, I was going with it. Not saying it's not without flaws. It absolutely is. We've talked about many and all of them on this podcast today. And the more you think about it, I'm sure it falls apart. But while I was watching this movie, I actually was having a good time. And I have had the argument that Jacob has had on these podcasts before. I have said, you set up these rules, you got to play in your own sandbox. And I have been the guy who says, you know what, I'm entertained, so what do I care? You know, at the end of the day, it's all about having fun. And But this one's, I'm right there with you, Arnie. Is it enough? Can I ignore enough to give it a recommend? And I was thinking about, of all things, another slasher movie, the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street with Jackie Earl Haley. The first half of that movie was strong enough for me that I had such a good time with it or what they were trying to do that when it did fall apart at the end, I was able to recommend it because there was enough in that first half or the majority of the movie that I can go with it. I also thought about Star Trek Into Darkness where the ending completely had me turned on the movie. And I woke up this morning thinking about the same thing, Arnie. I had a good enough time and I was laughing to myself about enough things. I'm going to give it the weakest of recommends because there is something here to enjoy. But we talked about the flaws of this movie, and ideally, if there is a third one, they'll be able to capitalize on what they did right this time and maybe bring it back around a little bit more to a funny slasher movie. Jacob, call DARPA. <laughs> we have alternate dimension Brock here. He didn't recommend the first one, but recommended this one. I'm doing so. I am going to recommend a weakest of recommends. There's enough fun here to be had. But yes, they do kind of betray the whole what they set up in the first movie with the kind of genre thing. But I'd say the first hour of the movie, I was going with it. And so maybe you will too. Slight, slight recommend. Yeah, switching genres isn't always a bad thing. I mean, we're going to be doing Hobbs and Shaw, which basically looks like a Marvel movie at this point, and that started as a car racing movie with that Fast and Furious franchise. So you can switch genres. You can make it work. Well, wait a minute, though, Jacob. The Fast and Furious series changed to a heist series in, like, what, number five, right? So officially number five was all heist all the time. So that movie series changed the genre from the beginning of that movie, not in the middle of the movie. So it's not exactly the same thing. If they came into us at the beginning of this movie and completely did away with the slasher conceit at all and only had a sci-fi movie, that's a different story. But they kept on changing genres left and right here and there. But for some strange reason, I was able to go with it for the most part until they got to way broad comedy. All right, well, that is 
a bigger twist than the doctor shooting his wife. I thought for sure if there was a recommend, it would only be me. Well, there you go. You know, I'll go surprise you here and there. Uh, who knows? Maybe our listeners will complain as much as one of you guys. What, what movie did you recommend that you got the most uh, guff for on? It was a Green Lantern or whatever it was. So maybe this would be my Green Lantern. Who knows? I don't think this movie will be as remembered as Green Lantern. <laughs> People remember Green Lantern? <laughs> Only because Ryan Reynolds keeps bringing it up. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if the guy let it die, it would just die. Well, speaking of dying, next week we are going to hop back to some body horror, some Stephen King. The Stephen King retrospective returns because Stuart, Jacob, and I are going to get thinner. Yeah, new year, new resolutions. Let's lose some weight. <laughs> And then after that, I think I might be wishing for my own happy death day as we begin the first... <laughs> of six gotta catch them all six pokemon movie reviews seems like there's a new one every time you bring yeah. it up it's like the gremlins well there's five cartoons and then detective pikachu in theaters your commitment to this pokemon is admirable i wish you all the best with that i, I will be listening and i just cannot wait to see where that series goes good for you guys pokemon is one of the most popular franchises in the entire world so, you know what? You guys might have the greatest time with this, because, and you'll see why Pokemon is the juggernaut it is 25 years after it premiered. Oh, man, you're going to get so much fan mail from six-year-olds. Whole new demographic we're opening up. They're going to love it, then, when we get to our Man With No Name trilogy <laughs> reviews later this spring. Those kids, they love Eli Wallach. They love that Clint Eastwood. Kids love <laughs> 60s westerns. <laughs> Yeah, and they're going to be so up for our Sex, Lies, and Videotape review this summer. Well, you know, they love Annie McDowell and Groundhog Day. Now they're going to be... <laughs> 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 well, we have all those things and more coming up at Now Playing, and thank you all for listening. So please, if you're listening to this and all of other things, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review because it really does help us continue our show. New listeners can find us that way, and we'd really appreciate the support there on iTunes. So Jacob, Arnie, I had a great time with this series. I look forward to talking to you again very soon on a panel coming up. But until then, enjoy today because there is no tomorrow. Ending this. Thank you for listening to this now playing podcast movie review. Well, damn. Good job. I had a little practice. We hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs> if you enjoyed this show, please tell others. You can help us out by leaving us a five star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Carter, please, pull up. Carter? Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. Call me as soon as you're done with your creepy little Comic-Con meeting. A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday, so come back each week for another new show. Okay, you guys are hilarious. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. And maybe I'm like that cat with nine lives. Eventually I'm gonna run out. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. 
Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at NowPlayingPatron.com. Who's going to pledge Kappa now that we have a death curse? We're in crisis mode, tree. At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. Thanks, Danielle. Super helpful. What are sisters for? You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Only one way to find out. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. Look, I know it's really random, but I promise I'll explain everything tomorrow. Assuming there is one. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. Hey, you're following me. Look, I want to hear your story. Look. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you, you know, wanted to sleep in or not. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Thank you so much for helping me out. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. No, it's funny. You relive the same day over and over again. Now playing credits read by Brock. I need you to listen to me. He's going to escape. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's none of my business, but I think something like this is bound to have some pretty serious consequences. You're right. It is none of your business. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. Not a word of this to anyone. Got it. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. If I am, does that mean that you're going to arrest me and lock me in a jail cell? That's how it usually works. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Catch me now, bitch! (laughs) Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Sarah Yorkin, Ruby Modine, directed by Christopher Landon. Why'd it had hit? an and. It did not. Did it really? It it really did. It was and Steve Zissus. Who's Steve Zissus? Okay. All right, I'll say. Exactly. Who the fuck is Steve Zissus? And why does what he just see? He that? was the dean. I had to look oh. him up. <laughs> I'm like, who is Steve Zissus? And why does he deserve an and? He's got to be some TV guy, right?
No, what? Uh, no, he's nothing. <laughs> wow. He has not a lot of stuff. I couldn't believe he was the oh, end. the most annoying character in the film, too. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll uh, do the last name again, and then I'll come, and Steve Zizou, uh, Steve Zizis. Uh, <laughs> um, Sarah Yorkin, Ruby Mordine, Ruby Modine. The remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street with, um, I want to say Haley Joel Osment. That's not that. It's a, I was just going to say that. Um, what's that guy's name? Um, Jackie Earl Haley. And ideally, if there is a third one, they'll be able to capitalize on what they did right this time and maybe bring it back around a little bit more to a funny slasher movie instead of having it be the charms blow pop of movies with, you know, that's not a, that's a bad example. It's two treats in one. This one's like, for like yeah, I like blow pop. I like blow pop. Give me too. a watermelon blow pop. Love it. Okay. I had a thought, by the way, you guys. You know how you have, like, at the end of, like, Anchorman or Will Ferrell movies, and they have, like, they show you all the different examples. Even, like, Grumpy Old Men, when they had Burgess Meredith do all those different takes of the joke of, like, you know, in that one scene, all the different takes. I had a, <laughs> I had a thought that um, Arnie did a mention of uh, the green slime monster, and, Jacob, you did Luke pooping on Yoda's head. And I was thinking to myself, would those two... <laughs> Would those two jokes be the examples that would make the cut? Or would they be like five <laughs> other examples of like bad things that like, you know, you know, Chewy would eat the pork or whatever you want to say. And then you said the green slime thing. I'm like, that's the best he can go with green slime. I'm like, okay. And you didn't, you didn't say, let me do that again. I'm like, okay, he's going to go with that. All right, let's go with that. Got you go at this time. Just go. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this game Stuart plays that's called like green things from outer space where you're you're it's basically imagine the movie alien but instead of having an alien on board you have uh the mucinex <laughs> monsters okay <laughs> and it's actually a really fun game and so i was like thinking all right she goes to an alien world what alien world is it it's the green things from outer space go done got it mucinex would have been a funnier way to go that would be great um <laughs> anyway um oh let me turn, turn this off <laughs>